0: as a star. Hello and welcome to the Five Star Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you've had a good weekend. Um, The final score in that game at the weekend in the Aviva Stadium was Ireland 29, England 10. And it really should have been a good bit more than that uh, when you watch the game back. Uh, I think, as I wrote there at the end of the Wally ratings, Andy Farrell will be frustrated in the aftermath of the game. Um, That's for sure. And I think that's in large part because of the opportunities that they coughed up where I mean realistically I think England could have conceded another 20 points and I don't think it would have been hugely unfair to them on the balance of the game but I think there was enough here in this game for Andy Farrell for the Irish coaching team to look and go if we perform like this against Scotland or South Africa they could beat us if we duplicate this performance and I think that's going to be the concerning thing um over the next couple of weeks as we kind of build to those two really really big games that are going to be coming right after each other now I think when you look at the the upcoming games we've got Samoa coming up um this weekend Uh, that'll be followed by um Romania and Tonga and then we're heading into that South Africa game they essentially are two other warm-up games. I mean, that as respect, r- respectfully as possible to Romania and to Tonga, but they are two games that Ireland should be winning regardless of how we play. Um, and, and that is uh, an advantage in a way where Ireland will be able to bring Johnny Sexton in after this game against Samoa is done and get him minutes against Romania, get him minutes against Tonga. Uh, but I suppose the big concern for Andy Farrell will be that as well as Ireland played in patches on, on Saturday and, and, you know, the, the scoreline was fairly emphatic, that we haven't played any of the sides that I think would be a potential bad matchup for us right now. So as a result, we don't know all that much. Like, Scotland and South Africa play radically different from England. England at the moment are the best possible matchup for Ireland to play against. Um, they are a team who kicks with a high volume but their transition defence and transition attack are really bad, (laughs) real bad. That is ideal for Ireland to play against, literally ideal, perfect. That's the exact team that Ireland would love to play against because it just creates space and line break opportunities in the exact places that we train for and play in consistently. So that in and of itself is... Great, because you can, you know, you can run those schemes like Ireland, you know, broke open England on counter transition inside the first, oh, I'd say 10 minutes. They did it multiple, well, looked like they would, they would do it two or three times and then did it for the, the try to go seven, three up. um And England just kept producing those opportunities and, and kept giving them to Ireland and didn't seem to understand why we beat them back in uh, the Six Nations and brought the same kind of concepts to this game where they never looked like winning it because they didn't understand why they lost to Ireland the last couple of times Ireland have been in this spot before where we would play the All Blacks um, in the 2000s and the 2010s for the most part and up until the Chicago game maybe the the, the game we almost won in in the uh, Aviva Stadium we didn't understand why they beat us. We thought that it was down to, oh, well, you know, they have a better line out of us. You know, maybe they're fitter than us. And, and they can all be valid reasons why you lose. But I think Ireland were much closer to New Zealand um, than the scores would have suggested in the first half of that last decade of the, or the 2010s, the first half of the 2010s. I think we were closer than what we thought, but we just didn't understand how to close the gap. And I think with England at the moment, the biggest thing for them is conceptually, I don't think they understand how to join up the things they're good at into a kind of an over- overarching concept as to how to play and how to then win games off the back of that. That's been a problem, I think. Eddie Jones was seeing that this cycle um, for the last couple of years up until uh, he got the boot. Uh, Steve Borthwick is kind of seeing the same thing where. I think England have a lot of catch-22s whereas Ireland at the moment have a system that they believe in 100% and that all of the players involved are perfectly suited to play and no inside out. That's very powerful. Even if you're not playing well, you will create opportunities because of the certainty that's there. With England, I don't see a whole lot of certainty at the moment at all in anything that they're doing. Be it in the roles they have for the, the game plan they're playing or you know, even the, the implementing it mid-game. Um, I think Simon Zebo. I didn't actually see this live, but I saw it after the fact where he was basically talking about the difference in energy in the warm-up between England and uh, and Ireland. And sometimes warm-up logic can be, you know, you, you can get a bad read in it. But I think looking at this England team, I don't think that they believe really that they have a, a system of play here that can beat anybody. I, I think that... They are good at a few different things, but not at the things they need to be to stitch all those good parts of the game together. I think they have a very good defensive line-out. I think offensively, they have a very good line-out as well. That would be expected. Steve Borthwick, before he was a head coach at uh, Leicester, was the line-out coach for England. And it was a very, very strong part of their game um, for a number of years under him. Um, Leicester as well had a good set-piece as well off the back of it. That's... For a certainty, right? They have a really good line out defensively, offensively. When you look at their ball carriers, they have guys who can win collisions and they get over the gain line. They do that pretty well at, a, at test level. There's a couple of players there who get over the gain line on average more than the average player at test level. And the average team at test level, they tend to get over the gain line quite a bit. The problem is they can't get all those things together in a way that will be a system that they can then make work they can't stitch together the fact that they have good ball carriers, a good defensive and offensive line out and then turn that into a system that can can win, they've got a number of problems other than that, that undermine both of those things, Steve Borthwick he's a coach who likes kicking that's, I've seen on social media that's being held as a bad thing against them, that oh they kick for a certain number of metres or they kick more than anybody else or whatever else they are not necessarily bad things. Ireland kicked the ball an awful lot as well and they kick it to approximately the same distance as what England do, more or less. Um, it's what happens after it's a problem for England. And this comes back to their selection, their role bills that they have. They have a couple of guys in there who I think are in there by default, right? You have Courtney Laws, he's in there by default. You have Marlo Itoji in there by default. They've been looking for somebody to to go next to Itoji for since George Cruise, you know, essentially retired and they have been able to find it Dave Ribbons was in there at the weekend thought he was really poor um, then you look at their other areas that are back 5 they have Billy Vunapola in there because they think we need power we need power we need size and they do but and not Billy Vunapola's power because I, I don't think he's capable of implementing it in the same way that he used to certainly with the game plan that England are playing and then they have Ben Earl who I think is actually a decent role fit for what they're doing um, and then you look at their, at their midfield. I think they have problems there as well in that their midfield is their chance. Their midfield and their wingers is their chance to balance out their back five. But they don't have guys who can do that. Certainly not in this game. They had Elliot Daly, who I thought had a really poor game. Really, really poor game for England. And he looks like a fella who's kind of caught in between two stools at the moment where I don't think they're role on the wing suits him Uh, I'm not sure if fullback suits him either and they won't move um, Freddie Stewart from there anyway Um, I'm not sure they like him enough at outside centre they got rid of Henry Slade who I think is a better outside centre than Elliot Daly they got rid of him they don't want him there and they're going with power in their midfield and like they went with Joe Marchant and with Manu I think both guys had fairly quiet games although they both had individual carries where they looked good in, in the moment I think that it's, um, using those two guys, I think it's in itself kind of Stone Age thinking because they're big direct ball carriers, both of them. But defensively, they do not give England what they need to balance out their back five with the amount of kicking that they do. If England were a team who didn't kick as much and had a system that was closer to, we'll say, what South Africa are trying to bring, it would make complete sense to have Manu Tuilagi in and, and Joe Marchant in there. It would make total sense, and even Elliot Daly could work as a sort of an inside winger sort of thing in in in, in that in that uh, game plan, a little bit like what Mack Mac Hansen does. But with the amount of kicking that England do, and Ireland loved this on Saturday, absolutely loved it, and um, the amount of kicking that they do, it basically it they burn themselves out. They burn out their own pack because, like, you look at Courtney Laws not covering the ground really really well. Mario Mar- Batoji is unbelievably fit a great player. He's still the best player in that um in that England pack I think. They have Jamie George who I know they have in there. He's a good player and like he's one of the best lineout throwers in the game. They need to have a solid lineout. So he's in there because he's the best thrower I think in 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 the in the in the world game at the moment. I think he's the best. But around the field his influence is waning and the role balance of the pack is not any better once the line out's over with Jamie George there and you look at Will Stewart I think he looks a little bit all at sea at this level um, he's a decent scrumager I think in general but like as in he is of no threat really to. he was no of no threat to Ireland in this game in any facet of the play Ellis Gange is a good player good ball carrier good you know, aggressive player I wouldn't change him out for anybody really um, but I think they need a change at hooker they need a change at tight head prop and I don't think Kyle Sinclair is the guy there either Um, they need to find a partner for Marlowe Itoje and I think they already have him I think it's Courtney Laws Uh, and I think in the back row they need to really look at uh, getting some basically combo flankers in there they don't have them at the moment and they need them and like Ben Earl like he's in people saying oh play him at 8 or whatever else look at the number of scrums there were in this game they were basically like I mean I know a scrum penalty led to the line out position which led to a try but I don't think the scrum was a massive factor in this game and selecting a fella at number eight because, oh, he breaks strongly off the back of the scrum. It's a bit like selecting a second row because he can kick the ball, you know, one or two times a game. Like, it's not really massively important what a guy does off the back of a scrum anymore. Like, you know, I know there'll always be a situation where, oh, he fumbled the ball at the back of the scrum or whatever else, a specialist eight wouldn't have done that. But I would back any professional back row player who plays in those spots to be able to, you know, protect the ball with his foot if a scrum is moving forward or whatever else, or get the ball out if a scrum is coming backwards? That to me is like it's it's micro focusing on, like, you know, you're you you looking at a ship. You want to know why it's sinking, and you're there looking at the rivets. Chances are it's something that's far more big picture than this. And I think that's the big picture Like the big problem with England at the moment is their big picture is kind of, you know, you 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 know, how, you, know, you know those AI tools? I think there's a thing on Photoshop, beta, whatever else, where you basically select a part of the picture and then artificial intelligence will generate the rest of it, right? It's a bit like if you're hyper focusing in on a ship and wondering why it's sunk, and you're looking at the rivets, what are the rivets doing, what are the rivets doing? And then you pull back and ask the artificial intelligence that doesn't really know what it's doing to generate the rest of the picture, it'll just show you all rivets. That to me is when I look at England and I look at some of the conversations that are around there, they're talking about small picture fixes to big picture problems. And, and to me, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like there's talk about the kicking, the side of play isn't great. And look, parts of the side of the play are not great for England. Like you look at their, their the error rate they have. There was a, a moment there where Ross Byrne gave them a fantastic opportunity to hit Ireland on the counter-attack. Um and just the handling from Joe Marchant, the passing was just a forward pass that it, he didn't even need to throw it forward. But just there didn't seem to be any kind of guiding philosophy on what they were doing. It all just seemed to be, you know, players will get into a spot and then like there'll be a, like cause some of their shape was, was better than what we've seen from them and stuff. But again, this is all like a small fry really when the overall concept of their game, they don't have the players to play it. But yet they're still playing it, and like all the stuff about like oh George Ford, who I thought had a poor game as well, here George Ford or Owen Farrell or whatever else, they'll still play the same game. And if England are in a situation where they are, you know, caught in two minds between oh well we gotta have Courtney in there, gotta have Courtney Laws, and you're thinking well we've got to put him in the back row straight away, you're on a loser because if you're going well we got to put Billy Vuna Paul in there we got to have power got to have a power carrier got to have a fella like that who's a good tight carrier the overall scheme doesn't work and like I was looking at it and thinking geez, if they had Theo Dan if they had him a little bit further along the line he'd be a perfect guy to try and balance out that issue in their pack um, where they've got to have Jamie George because their line out is so important to what they do when they do do well it's their line out is a big factor Um and that's the big issue for them is that they've got so much catch 22s there where oh we've got to have Manu we've got to have Manu too laggy. like there is a role he can play there but with the amount of kicking that they do they need lockdown defenders in their outside back line one of them as a winger both of their midfielders and they don't really have that like I think I-, I compared them a little bit to France like France are a high volume kicking team as well they box kick a lot and they do a long enough distance similar enough to England they're Outside backs are a big part of their defence. Because if you watch this game back against, uh, you know, Ireland and England back again, you'll see so many um, times where England have kicked off the back of a maul. And the guys who are coming out of the maul are slow to come out. Like, they're not filling the transition line, they're like the chase line. They're not filling that line properly. They're not getting off the the space that they need to be. So, like, they're still kicking as in, well, we want to kick to the mid-distance, Right. We want to be a mid-level kicking team and we maybe even kick a bit longer. We want to pressure teams down the field because once we meet them at the gain line down there, they'll be starting further back. So we'll be able to manage them from there. When they kick to us, we'll, you know, basically I've been over stuff like this before. That's essentially what they're doing. And they don't have the pack to do that at that range. So they're asking the likes of Jamie George, Will Stewart, Billy Vunapola, Courtney Laws, Dave ribbons to fill and cover a lot of ground that they're not better like they're not suited to covering like they'd be better off like box kicking or like actually taking that that's uh, kicking distance way back to trying like but then again there'd be no point in kicking as much as they do if that's what they did so <laughs> there's a number of catch-22s that they have that are kind of like well we can't do this because of that And then we can't because of that we can't do this. So there's lots of different things that are there, and until they get those sorted out, I think they'll still they'll have performances like this where they look really really poor. And against some teams, they'll be able to grind out a win. Like like I think looking back at the game, like I was I said to myself that they'll definitely make a quarter final. And if they get into a quarter final against whoever they might play, be it Australia, Wales, or Fiji, like I would if I'm looking at that if I'm an England fan I'd be looking at that game whatever you do because they, they will qualify like Japan are not the team that they were like Argentina will be, their, will be their toughest game for sure but I could still see England winning that game as well I think if they get to a quarter final they will have no fear whatsoever of any of those teams Australia Wales or Fiji I think on in a one off game even if they're, as they're playing right now they could absolutely beat any of those three teams because all of those three teams have fundamental problems as well and I think that when that's the case like that could mask some things but like make no mistake the minute they play a serious team and that could be in a World Cup semi-final they will lose especially if they play like this and especially if they have a a, a build in their team like this they will lose and like that is a fact and I, I think that the 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 more I think that you watch the game back, and the more little bits of detail that you see in it, you think that Ireland left a massive, massive win, uh, with a big, big, you know, try uh, score count, try count, whatever you want to call it. Um, they left a lot of that in the table here, and um that'll be the frustrating thing for Andy Farrell like I said because England are a really good matchup for us at the moment but there was a number of things that, that stood out to me from Ireland that were just like oh well that that's that's obviously not good like the line out for example would be, would be the first thing people would look at because you know messed up line outs and you know turned over line outs and stuff like that that's a big problem for any team but for Ireland in particular when Ireland were really poor at the start of this cycle a lot of that came down to our line out not being what it needed to be and looking at what we've done on the line out since then hasn't been remarkable. It's not been like like we didn't need a massively complex line out to make what we're doing work. We just needed to retain the ball. And we've got a good mall as well that we do rely on some illegal, you know, bits and pieces <laughs> with regards to that. Like the 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 we call it the obstruction penalty that we gave away in this game again. Like I wrote an article that's on the five euro tier last week about that obstruction penalty and why we will keep continue to give it away. Now England helped to exaggerate it a little bit in, in that instance but we do it on every mall where we get guys in behind and we will sometimes be not that far in behind the lifter or the, the jumper. A lot of the time we will go right in behind if, if we go to the tail we will go right in behind there because it's all happening so quick. The referee is looking at so many different things. It's the assistant referee who calls it most of the time. So when we go to the tail, the assistant ref can't see that. Um, so we get a lot of go forward off the back of that, especially from close range malls. But in this game, our line wasn't great. We coughed up a few, more than a few opportunities that typically, you look at Ireland when we're doing really well, we nailed those. Typically, Ireland throw a lot to the front, 39% in total um of all of our lineout throws go to the front and i think it's 35% go to the middle which again fairly low risk Ireland we don't really throw to the tail we don't really do that at all um because again that, that's a, a high risk place to throw and and you're playing against good teams for the most part so if you can get that ball to the tail against a good team you get a great lineup platform but we don't really do that all that often certainly not this year based on the balance of averages So I was kind of wondering, like, well, why did we do that here so many times? (laughs) Because, like, the lineouts that were down here for turning over and that were, you know, that we straight missed in some some cases, were all down to very complex lineout schemes that England didn't necessarily turn them over. Like, these were unforced errors, like, and there was that dreaded, if you listen to this podcast enough, you will hear me bemoaning that double cutout throw to the tail which Munster have done last season and if they landed, if they took down two of them out of the 10 or 11 times that they tried it, I'd be shocked. Well, maybe I wouldn't be shocked but it would be something I don't expect to work. Whenever I see a guy jumping out and then another guy fainting to lift and then jumping out himself, I'm just thinking we're losing this line out (laughs) and that happened here. We did a, there was a double cutout to the tail, I think it was and it went over, I think it went over James Ryan but like I hate those schemes anyway because you're basically planting your hooker on the line where all this action is going on. And he's waiting for his his visual cue and then he lets it go, and it's so difficult to, to like to get it to that distance. And Ireland, you know, messed up those ones. Like maybe we were overthinking, like where England contests. Like that England contests a lot in the middle, so we'll faint them out in the middle, draw the counter lift, and then throw over that like I think we over we overthought it a little bit because you know like I said in the in the build up to this like England have a really good defensive line out I think from a numbers perspective the best tier 1 defensive line out at the moment in in, in the game so if they're able to disrupt steal or obstruct 20% of the opposition's throws and um, Ireland's is it's the same if not better I I think after this weekend England would be the best from a, a you know raw percentage count um maybe we thought, okay, maybe we'll you know go over the, the the top of them there and we felt that if we do what we normally do, they'll shop the ball on us so we kind of... Ended up meeting failure on the road we took to avoid it. If that makes sense, but yeah, no, I, I think that like Ireland overall will see that and go well. Look, obviously we can we can fix up that area of the game. I think even the fact that we got nineteen lineouts total shows again that England don't really understand how we beat them and how this Leinster and Ireland system how it beats teams because a lot of teams with the kicking that they get from Ireland because Ireland outkicked on a number perspective they out kicked England like we kicked the ball 32 times they kicked it 27 times which again if you were to say beforehand looking at the averages this year as to who owns that kicking number you would say it was the opposite that England have 32 and Ireland have 27 but that's what Ireland tend to do against this England team when we play against a team who kick a lot we will kick an awful lot in return because both teams are looking for that territory but what Ireland do and what we we got here was is that the quality of kicking from England was quite poor so our back three mopped up everything. They were superb. Mack Hansen was unreal. Hugo Keenan again was just, just error free. I know he, uh, not error free. He did make a mistake for, I think he kicked the ball out in the full. I was shocked. Um, but his work under the high ball is superb. James Lowe was very good as well. He'd won superb kick off a situation that could have been a bit messy for Ireland actually. Turned it around into a fantastic position um, with his kicking, which is world class. Um, England don't have that. Quality in their back, their 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 uh, back three. Freddie Stewart is a good player. Um, I think that he's not a playmaker at all, and I think that we saw that at, at different points in the game here in the second half when England were actually, or in the even in the first half when England had some decent possession on their own transition attack, and just the minute that ball left Ford's hands to go to another back, it just was very unpredictable as to what would happen. Um, and I think that's just a big question mark for Ireland is England were very very poor Ireland put them away relatively stress free but elements of what we do are untested against the two teams that we're going to be very very concerned about beating Uh, Scotland South Africa South Africa in particular um, have turned their game around like they're playing a different game now to um, to what we typically know from South Africa and they're working the kinks out as they go and they will be a tough team especially if they are turning the fact that they're kicking way less now on average per game than what they used to. So if Ireland followed the same script that we kick in South Africa but we don't get it back at the volume that we typically like that puts a lot of pressure on our transition attack on our phase play attack which was decent here for the most part but that's where you have to have Johnny Sexton on the field because what we saw here from Ross Byrne was fine, he was grand, but I worry about his option taking under pressure, I worry about his accuracy in running the core basics of this game at test level, like his kicking here against England was not good, I felt that he kicked maybe 5, sometimes 10 metres a little bit too long when he was getting those counter-transition starters going, where it was just outside the effective chase range of our, of our wingers who were very very good who cover up that space really well but I felt that he gave England opportunities they weren't able to take them but the likes of South Africa will and Scotland will and that'll be an area of concern where I think people kind of with Ross Byrne I think there's this idea that like, and, and I know like I said it myself he is between a 5 and 7 out of 10 player to just give it a conventional ranking Um, He would be my typical three-star general, in that you know what you're going to get from him. It's rarely going to be very, very poor. Rarely. Um, Rarely will it be absolutely outstanding as well. He is a system 10, and he knows this system inside out. And he's typically really good at running it against most teams. And like here, he was grand, Um, you know, like England were, were poor, but it's not like they handed him the game a bit in the way like like Toulouse did in, in the, the semi-final of the European Cup. But like I look at this England team and then I look at Ross Byrne and I'm thinking, um, Ross Byrne would start for these. I think he actually would. I think he'd, he'd nearly be a better fit. But I'm not sure with the style that Ireland are playing at the moment that he nailed down anything as being a cover guy for Sexton. I'm not sure if that has been settled as of yet. Maybe it has. I'm just thinking, looking at what I saw here, that there'd be enough mm, kind of concern, I would say, about the, some of the quality of the kicking and the the platform kicking that was there. There'd be enough of a concern over that where I'm going, shh, man, like, he got a lot of opportunities here um, from England, and the quality of his kicking was, was for me, was very was below average, and that could be something that could come back to bite him. Um, even though Crowley came on and had a few mistakes as well, I'm not sure they'll hold that against him more so than what we saw from Ross from 80 minutes, which was grand. But I don't think there was... I think the kicking thing will be the biggest issue. Not the goal kicking. Because look, any fella can have a bad day off the tee. Like, that happens to the best of players. But I think with Ross, he needed to show here that even if it's not going well off the tee, he can still be very accurate with his counter-transition starter plays that he will always give our ringers a chance in this game there was a number of times where England had the ball in their hand for 2-3 seconds because the ball was just that f- much further away where, than where it needed to be that's an area where with the amount of volume of kicking that Ireland do th- that can't be so that's something where I think he'll be marked down on but at the same time, he did the things that we always associate with Ross Byrne in that he's a good passer of the ball. Again, he had a few mistakes there as well. But again, every player will have a mistake when they play the game. Nobody's going to play the game perfect. But I look at the, the assists he had. I would back Ross Byrne to make those assists anytime, in any game. If that space is there, he will fucking plant one of his foot, his right foot, left foot, whatever else. He will release that pass across and it'll get there. He's always been really, really good at that. That's been a fen- that, that, that that is a constant in Ross Burns game. But I think the issue would be that Ireland don't necessarily need players to do that. Because Ireland's system is all about short passing. Some of those were kind of off scheme. He found us he found a space. Great. But it's his decision making on transition that I think will be the thing that they look at and go mm, there's a few moments there where that ball should have gone somewhere else that you know, because Ireland had a number of opportunities on transition defence, and I, I, to be honest, I don't think took full advantage of it. I think that Ross's involvements off the screen, I think they should've, there should have there should have been more of them. I think sometimes he's got this tendency to get buried in rocks, which every fly half will have to do the odd time, um, or find themselves out of position. But to me, he's there an awful lot, um, where he's not in position to do his job, which is to. You know, move our player on the field and to game plan this out. Um, so that's something I think that is still a, probably a live discussion. I'd be shocked if, when the South Africa game came along, if, if Ross Byrne wasn't the number two guy behind Sexton because this Irish team love cohesion. They love going with guys where I think Jack Crowley is currently a better player and a more rounded athlete. And has a much, much higher ceiling than Ross Byrne. But I think that if that is a benefit for Joe McCarthy in the forwards, it won't be seen as it, as, a, as a benefit for Jack Crowley unless something radical changes. Um, that they love that system knowledge, and Ross Byrne has that. So, and like I said, like you rarely get a disastrous performance from him. Now, if Sexton is injured and we're playing Scotland and we're playing South Africa with Ross Byrne at 10, I would be concerned. But that's the risk that we're running at the moment. and Because uh, I do feel that they will go with Ross to be the number two guy. Uh, I think Jack Crowley's time will certainly come. It could even come in this tournament. But it's all to be played out, I would feel. Overall, I felt it was a good pack performance. I uh, thought the front five did well. The injury concern for Dan Sheehan is a bit of a, a concern, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, he went off just before half Um He has it's a foot injury, I think, of some description. The rumours were between eight, you know, six to eight weeks, which would be a disaster because the last thing you'd want would be a fella coming in cold into a fucking quarterfinal. Now, I know Dan Sheehan's a great player, but that would be a big risk if we were to do that. Now... He will have time. I think if it's six weeks out, I think I'd be surprised if they didn't bring him because um, it's so easy to call out an injury replacement if you need to. Um, but looking at um, the other hookers that are there, there's a few question marks over Ronan Kelleher's fitness as well. I know he's currently injured and recovering from one, but the worry is that the gaps between his injuries are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And in a World Cup where everything is so brutal, that in itself could be a bit of a worry. Um, Rob Herring seems to be made out of uh, vibranium. He will just keep playing, <laughs> and he's really good as well. He came on here in, in in this game, and Ireland looked totally fine. And then you've got Tom Stewart. Dermot Barron has also been called in as well, which is good for him. He will be mainly training at the moment. Where well, well he is training. I'm not easy. He hasn't been called up to the team proper as of yet. Um, but they because they need the numbers. Like they don't, they don't have a whole load of specialist hookers there. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought overall um, the pack in general played well. Mention as well for Keane Prendergast I thought he played really, really well. I think that he showed in this game why he's been selected and why Gavin Coombs has not been selected. Gavin Coombs play- is the specialist for a different style of rugby and anyway. I think we've seen the importance of right guy with the right style. The amount of kicking that Ireland do over the ground that they do requires fellas who are like quicker and more used to covering all that ground from a defensive and offensive perspective. Like if Ireland started playing a game where they needed to hang on to the ball for ten, eleven phases, and they need to do that regularly during a day, during a game, the likes of Keane Prendergast, Stephen Caelan and Doris would start to suffer. Whereas Gavin Coombs would immediately start to becoming like way, way more valuable. I think Gavin Coombs would be closer to featuring for the Springboks at the moment than he would for for Ireland, um because. Th- the import, like the, of the importance of style. And I think what Cian Prendergast showed here is that he is really capable of running that style. He made a few mistakes, but he's really pacey, covers a lot of ground, looked exactly like Caelan Doris, I would say, at times. Um, and his his breakdown numbers look similar enough to what you would see from Caelan Doris. Not to the same level of, of accuracy, but, you know, the numbers kind of stack up. You'll see that on the 10-year-old tier uh, on Wednesday. But that's kind of... Uh, I'd say that in itself would be satisfying for Andy Farrell because at least he knows now that if Jack Conan doesn't recover you've got a guy you can basically play Caelan Doris's role in that back row and you can put him on the bench if you need to you can start him if you need to and it'll look more or less the same and from a system perspective like just think system first system first and then all the role bills afterwards will make, will make a ton of sense and if you're looking at a team who kick as much as what Ireland do and require so much movement on transition defence and transition offence a lot of what you're doing is going to be based on like how quickly can you do it and over how much ground can you continue to do it and that will make any selection decision that you see from Ireland make it'll all make sense and like a lot of the stuff like I spoke there earlier about how England need a defensive like uh, mindset at um in, in their midfield and outside backs like Ireland actually have that as well Gary Ringrose had a decent defensive game here. He covers a lot of ground. A lot of ground he covers. Um, that ended up being a little bit more Yoda than I expected there. But, you know, he is a player who's really important to this Irish system. It's basically, it's who partners Gary Ringrose at this stage, I think, because of his important importance defensively. Offensively, um, he's okay. Like, again, I don't think he's a superstar playmaker by any means. But his defensive coverage is so important to what Ireland do on transition attack and defence that to me it's about what you want to put next to him if you put the likes of Bundy Aki you get more direct ball carrying you get more defensive breakdown you get more offensive breakdown with Robbie Henshaw you get again I think more defensive coverage again a little bit more athletic ball carrying if you want to hit the edges a little bit more but I think at the moment the number one midfield for me would be Bundy Aki and Gary Ringrose if I'm the balance Attack and defence. Because I think defensively, if you want to lock down defence, Henshaw and Ringrose are perfect with this system. Absolutely perfect. They will shut down most teams. If you look into, to, but like, again, you've got to score points. I think that if any team can take away um, Ireland's line-out, can, can limit the amount of lineouts that we have, our transition our counter-transition work becomes very important then as well and that's when you would think the likes of Bundy Aki would be very important which I think from a Match of 23 perspective I think we'll be seeing Bundy Aki as number 23 um, with um, him being able to come on for Robbie Hinshaw and switch up those two bills if Ireland needed in a game and I can't finish off this podcast without mentioning uh, Keith Earls who came off the bench for his 100th cap and scored an absolute beaut of a try <laughs> in the corner um it was emotional anyway seeing keith earls coming on the field seeing the the respect he got from the crowd that was there the emotion that was in the the noise that people had for him seeing him walk out with his three girls was really emotional and it would kind of really kind of just kind of hit home for just the respect that there is there for keith earls uh, in 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 this country for what he's achieved as a player and you know what he's done as a man as well it's 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 really it's, it's great and it's it was great to see him get that moment and I think we've seen any number of times where it's a special game and it's a special moment for a player be it you know a, a landmark number of caps or whatever else but then the game doesn't go to plan where they have an average game or whatever else but the main thing that people remember was oh well he got his cap and that's the main thing in this game he Earl's got that reception he got that you know the walkout the moment that that, that was he got coming off the bench you know the crowd coming up for him which was brilliant and then he had that try which I think showcased all of what Keith Earls is so good at and he's still good at beware the old man in the young man's game that is Keith Earls when it comes to the wing uh, he is a fantastic finisher he's in great nick uh, he still looks like he's got that burst of acceleration as well which is important he doesn't need to be the fastest guy over you know, over 50 metres or whatever else but he's got that acceleration to get away from fellas he still has that Um, I don't know what he's going to do after the World Cup but I would at this stage be shocked if he didn't go I think that out of the backs I think Stockdale and McCluskey will be the ones to miss out I think what Keith Earls gives you is experience which they will want uh, a big character in camp which they will want as well that's important it might not seem it but it is important over the condensed sort of you know week to week warfare of a, of a world cup you need big characters you need experience guys who've been there and done it all as Keith Earls has so like I think that if they can bring him at all I think they will um, fitness wise I think that yes he keeps stacking up there obviously he'll be under pressure because he's that bit older but um, it was fantastic to see him score that that try and that moment that he had I just thought looking at it that's the man right there and like I was putting my little girl to bed at the time and I see that happening and I'm just there kind of going, yes, because <laughs> she was having trouble going to sleep and just seeing that moment and just like I'll remember it because it's not often you see a fella scoring his 100th try from Mon- Munster in Ireland in his 100th cap for Ireland and um, his 300th, 302nd cap overall and to score like basically his a a, a try every three games is something else Uh, but that's Keith Earls the man the Moirass Express the pride of Limerick City and again it's kind of corny but you'd kind of feel proud knowing that you're you know you're you're kind of associated with the same club as he is which is corny but I think a lot of people feel that way when it comes to Keith Earls because he's such a a beloved character Um, but yeah Ireland move on they're in Biarritz uh, and they are having a few injury worries about Dan Sheehan as I said that'll obviously be a big blow Uh, it'll be a doubly compounded blow if Ronnie Kelleher also doesn't improve Um, but I think Ireland are in a decent spot Um, they're going to play Samoa at the weekend I think a lot of guys will get their you know their their fringe guys will get named out then Um, they'll get a run out ahead of the you know Romania Tonga games I think Ireland will use these next three games to taper and then build to, those, to that South Africa game, and that'll be the big proving ground. That's where the, the pool will be decided, I think. And, um, you know, I, I think that we're, we're in a good spot. I think that if we can avoid any injuries to key players, I think the minutes that we, that, that, that they've banked should be enough for them, um, you know, heading to before we even start the World Cup. I think that we'll be happy enough, and I think Ireland will be flying blind to an extent, But we have the advantage in that Scotland and South Africa must play each other first. So one of them would be gravely wounded by the time we play them. And that in itself is an advantage. So I think it's all set up for Ireland to go deep in this competition. I've got a few different articles coming out this week now one of them will be on the uh, rebuilding the big red machine on the 10 euro tier and uh, i've got a few other articles coming as well on the five euro tier and uh, on the two euro tier for everybody that everybody will be able to see that's all coming out this week uh, thank you very much for joining me thank you very much for being a tier subscriber uh, if you have any questions for the trk mailbag this week on the five euro tier uh, send it in info at Uh, with TRK Mailbag in the subject line and I will get to it so thank you very much again for listening thank you very much for being a subscriber I'll talk to you again very very soon